Hi, welcome to the Woman by Definition podcast. I'm Kelly J. This episode, I'm talking to Zuby. He's an independent rapper, a podcast host, author, public speaker, and creative entrepreneur. He's got over 300,000 followers online. He was born in England, raised in Saudi Arabia, and is a graduate of Oxford University. He has sold over 25,000 albums independently, performed in eight countries, and achieved over 7 million online views. Zuby has featured on the Joe Rogan Experience, BBC, Fox News, Sky News, The Adam Carolla Show, The Rubin Report, The Candice Owen Show, and The Ben Shapiro Show, amongst others. He may well be best known for his women's UK weightlifting record. I'm so excited to have him on. Uh, I did an interview with Zuby quite some time ago, and I've been delighted to watch his climb very rapidly into the public consciousness. So I hope you enjoy it. Please do remember to like, share, and subscribe. And I am assured that if you leave me a review uh, on wherever you get your podcasts, it does something good uh, for either my soul or my ego. Do enjoy. Okay. I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> good afternoon. <laughs> good morning, even. Uh, no, it is good afternoon now. Um, thank you so much for joining me, Zuby. Happy to be here. It's, um, it's been a long time since we talked uh, on your podcast, all those months ago, years maybe. Yeah, I think it was just over a year ago now, I think. And what a year you've had. Yeah, for real. It's been, um, it's been crazy. It's, it's still kind of crazy. It's just uh, going and growing and yeah, I'm kind of, yeah, I mean, it's cool. It's what I wanted. It's what I've been striving for for over a decade now, but um. Yeah, a lot of people know me, and um, <laughs> which is which is cool. It's got its uh, weird aspects as well. I, I was I was just in the in the park and got recognized there. And when I was in the U.S. last year, I got recognized in every single city. You know, I was in places I'd never been to in my life, and had people, you know, crossing or shouting out their car <laughs> that they saw me on Joe Rogan or whatever. So yeah, it's cool. You know, it's cool, and um, it's helping a lot of people. It's influencing a lot of people in a positive way. So that's what I strive for. So um, it's, it's a good position to be in. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. I'm so delighted for you. So Thank the you. first sort of the first I'd heard of you uh, was when you did that shocking uh, world record. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people that don't know, uh, can you tell them what you did and how many times it's been viewed? <laughs> and what your social media following has has been like since it happened? Yeah, sure. So on the 26th of February, uh, 2019, I posted a nine second video of me doing a 230 kilogram deadlift. So what's that about 515 pounds, something like that, I think. And um, I had a caption on it saying, I keep hearing about how there's no biological difference between men and women in 2019. So watch me destroy the British women's deadlift record without trying. P.S. I identified as a woman whilst lifting the weight. Don't be a bigot. And I put that out there thinking you know i know my sense of humor i know my my fans sense of humor i figured okay this will get a few a few likes and a few retweets (laughs) people will find this kind of funny little did i know that it would be a career defining moment that would be seen by realistically probably dozens of millions of people at this point and just be the catalyst that would grow my profile so significantly internationally um 
it, it was crazy. When I tweeted that, I had 19,000 followers. And yesterday, I hit a quarter of a million just on Twitter. That's, that's not even the other, that's not even the other platform. So from 19,000 to 200, and it's now 252,000 um, in just over a year. It's been crazy. But what happened with that video is it, it, it sort of, so many people discovered me through it, right? Including yourself. And then, you know, people go viral on Twitter all the time. You always see posts go viral, but normally the person behind it doesn't go viral themselves because there's not much beyond that post. But in my case, people discovered, oh, oh, he's a rapper. Oh, he does. Oh, he's got some interesting views and stuff. And oh, he's got a podcast. Oh, he does this. He does that. So a lot of people wanted to, you know, so I was, I was able to sort of sustain, I was able to use that momentum and sustain it and turn it into new opportunities and use it as a chance to do so, so many cool things, meet so many great people, travel to a lot of different places, etc. But um, yeah, it, it is funny that of all the things I've done over the course of my career, all the music I've put out, all the music videos, all the tours, all the, all the grind, that of all the things um, that would bring attention to Zuby, it happened to be that video. And, and it's even funnier because that wasn't a new video either. That video was already on the internet um, and it had about 50 views. It was just a video from one of my training sessions. A lot of people think that I specifically recorded that video to, uh, to sort of make that point. It's like, no, I, I just had the video on my phone. But um, out of curiosity, I just Googled to see what the British women's deadlift records were in my weight class. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, I can beat that. So I just found the video on my phone and tweeted it thinking, okay, you know, it'll, and then I, I knew it was going to go crazy though. Cause I mean, within, like, after I'd done it, I was, I was kind of looking at my phone and when a tweet goes really viral, the numbers update almost in real time. So I was just seeing the numbers just like ticking upwards as I was wow. looking at my phone, right? I tweeted it and it was like 10 retweets, 23 retweets, 40 retweets. So, and, it, and it just within, I think within 10 minutes, the video had 10,000 views. Gosh. And it wasn't just the numbers. I was also within an hour, I was also seeing who was retweeting it, right? It was retweeted by Piers Morgan, retweeted by Ann Coulter, retweeted by this, like all people with millions of followers all <laughs> over the world. I started people, people started commenting in, in Arabic, in, in Portuguese, in, in Japanese. <laughs> it just starts spreading all over the world. And I, I mean, what, by the time I woke up in the morning, it was over half a million views. And uh, that's when I started getting the calls from, from BBC and, <laughs> and different places and people who were like, we, we, want, we want to talk to you about this. We, we need to talk to you about this. So that's kind of the story behind it. It's it was just it's so funny. I think, <laughs> and it was it was just a perfect moment, right? Because this stuff, people have been slogging away trying to get this out for such a long time, and really having no success in sort of hitting a really good chord where lots of people feel they can share it. So because it was funny and it wasn't yeah. just a, a straight point, people mm. felt a little bit more shielded that they could that they could share it because it's yes. funny, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's why it worked so well. I mean, the, the timing and it hit, it hit so many different, I mean, I, I didn't contrive this in my head, but in hindsight, it hit the nerve in, in lots of different worlds too. So it sort of went viral in all of these little different genres, shall we say. So it went viral in the world of sports. It went viral in the world of politics. 
It went viral in the world of people who talk about society and culture, etc. It went viral um, in so, on some feminist message boards and stuff. You know, it went <laughs> it went viral just on all of these different worlds, uh, which I wasn't sort of targeting or whatever. I thought, okay, I'm just going to make a common sense point and I'm going to do it in a way that others haven't. Right? I like to approach things with with humor because if something is if something is ridiculous then you you can't so sometimes you can't if someone has come to a conclusion that is totally illogical or totally based on feeling sometimes using the sort of opposing argument doesn't work on them because they, they didn't really reach that conclusion from any logical perspective so what i do sometimes i do this quite a lot what I do is I, I take, I just assume their logic, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with you, right? Rather than I'm not going to explain to you the biological differences. I'm not going to talk about testosterone levels and muscle mass and puberty and hormones and all these things. I'm just going to say, okay, so you tell me what a woman is. They tell me and I'm like, okay, here, right? And if they say, no, you're not a woman, then they are they're the ones who are the bigot, right? Because I'm yeah. like, wait, by, by your own rules, you've told me I'm a woman, I can be a woman. So either you have to take one of these positions, either that's not a valid record because, hey, that's a dude, that's a man. <laughs> um, or no, okay, that is valid because he identified as a woman, she I don't, I don't even know how to pronoun myself, right? Uh, <laughs> he, she identified as a, he, she identified as a woman. So therefore, as we've been saying for many years, that that's that must be a valid, a valid record, right? Other people have done it. So it was kind of a, a checkmate in that sense. I think that's why it was so effective because there, I, in, I mean, ninety nine percent of the feedback on it was was very positive. There was a one percent who sort of they wanted to be angry but could not explain why it was offensive you see what i mean right they, they could because without nullifying their own thing right they they were like this is uh, i don't like this somehow but i don't know how to say this without undermining the, my own points do you see yeah, what right. i mean right because yeah. if they do say no this person is a man this person then you know that opens up the whole door that a lot of what they have been saying doesn't make sense. It's not logical. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's nonsense. Um, ironically, I did also have some people who, who <laughs> I did also have people who, who got angry from the other side, who were saying that what I did was really unfair towards women. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm not a woman. So they're like, well, that's not that's not really a woman. That's not fair. He shouldn't be able to do that, etc. So it's like, you sort of got the point, but you sort of missed the humor satirical. Mm. Although the the joke in that is that there literally are men that look as as built as you. I yes. mean, perhaps not as defined, but certainly as <laughs> built as you, even with facial hair, who are literally saying they're women. So that's when the ridiculousness, the, the ridiculous sort of uh, whole thing of it just becomes mm. so transparent. Yeah. But I also think, like like you said, that you didn't just make a viral video. You had stacks of stuff behind that you've been working on for years. Mm. And I also wonder with you, if young men are absolutely crying out for people like yourself um, 
who are hardworking, who seem to have a really good work ethic, who have a pretty sound moral framework. Uh, mm. You know, like the, Jordan Peterson has done the same. Joe Rogan, I would say, is, is also someone that people are yearning for. Yeah. Do, do you think that we are in a real crisis of sort of direction for young men in this country or? Yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the term crisis because I okay. don't want to um, uh, catastrophize too much. You know, I think there's a lot of hope out there, but certainly I think it's undoubtable. I mean, I see the, the messages and things I receive and the comments I get, and there is no question that the, the modern Western world has been yearning for a, a few things. It's been yearning for people who tell the truth. Right. Firstly, people who just man, woman, whatever, just people who are honest and tell the truth and, you know, don't have a massive agenda and huge biases, which sort of cloud everything they're saying or who just want to be liked, want to go around with the go with the crowd, whatever. Even if the crowd is completely wrong, even if the crowd is all lying, just go along with it, not rock the boat, etc. So one thing that is in common with all the people you've said and someone like yourself is we're all people who who try to tell the truth and want to know the truth we may have different opinions on things we may not agree on everything but we are all seeking the truth and we're willing to stick our neck out and say something that you might know might get a bit of backlash but you know that it is true sometimes it, objectively you know that it is true other times it might be an opinion and you're expressing an opinion but you and we also believe that other people have the right to do so so if we have a disagreement, you're not going to try to de-platform or silence Zuby. I'm not going to try to de-platform or censor Posey and, you know, pick it and try to ban you from, you see what I mean? And mm. you'd think that everyone would be able to uh, agree on those. And I, I think everyone sort of used to at least a decade or two ago, but we're living in this weird time where that's becoming rarer and rarer. And then um, on the second part, yeah, I do certainly feel that with boys and men in particular, also with young women. You know, I think that society has been lacking in, in, in role models. Um, specifically, there are a lot of, you know, let's be frank, there are a lot of young people and children right now who are growing up um, without, without fathers. You know, abs absent fatherhood is a massive problem in society. Um, it's something that a lot of people don't really want to address or talk about. And again, I think that's also largely for politically correct reasons, despite the fact we, we know statistics, we can see the damage that is being done. And you can also see how it's impacting culture in less measurable ways. So I think that, you know, 15 years ago, I don't think someone like Jordan Peterson would have been as remotely, he wouldn't have been this phenomenon because so much of what he says is, is common sense. It's articulately and interestingly worded, but it's stuff that we knew not so long ago, but it was almost like, man, like the whole world needs a dad right now. And I think he sort of fit in that role of yeah. sort of being, being, being the dad of the world. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that's important. That's important as well, because like you said, people, people need guidance, people need principles, people do need role models, people need, they're going to search for it somewhere. So, you know, it's, um, one of the weirdest things for me over the past year especially has been sort of seeing the extent of my reach and influence and sort of feeling that growing responsibility in a weird way to kind of like yikes i've got you know more people follow me on twitter than people that live in my entire city so every time <laughs> so I, I i try not to let that 
influence or daunt me too much. Otherwise, I lose my my edge, right? My ability to, you know, make jokes and be a bit irreverent and talk about things that I just want to talk about. But um, it does make me more conscious in like, okay, I do need to do my best, right? I'm never going to be perfect at it, but I do need to do my best to at least stick to what I stand by. You know, not everyone, yeah. some people may not like what I stand by, but I know, I know what's in my heart. I know what I'm trying to do. I know that it's generally working. Uh, not everybody gets it. Not everybody likes my, my style or some people think that it should be more prim and proper and formal. Some people think it should be more politically correct, whatever. But it's like, look, this is how I communicate. And there, there are a lot of voices out there. If you don't, if you don't like the way I do things, there are thousands of other people who you may prefer. And yeah. that's, that's fine too. That's how I look at it. Yeah, I agree. I think you cannot, you can't start playing to your audience. You, you know, they're, they're there looking at you because they like what they saw. Yeah. And once you start trying to figure that out and, and do things that you think they'll like, that's the minute you kind of, you lose it. Exactly. Um, I wanted to ask you because I know that you have a, a religious basis as well, mm. and I don't. I'm a mm -hmm. I'm what we call a gold star atheist. I've I've gold never star. had. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a religion. Okay. However, I am I am very happy that I was born into a country that does have a religion at the basis of most of its laws and is a pretty mm. a, pr a pretty decent country. We've kind of moved away from religion because science seemed to replace it or undermine it. I don't know. I don't know why we've moved away from religion, mm. but we sort of stopped being philosophical and spiritual and so on, and everything became physical. But now, what we're doing to the physical is we're kind of separating bodies and people from our physical bodies. So we have surrogacy, transition. Mm. Uh, we have um, all different types of interventions. Uh, we have social media likes as opposed to real friends. Yeah. Um, do you think this is a vacuum that the lack of, a lack of religion has created? Do you think that's partly to play in, in, in what's going on? Yeah, I do. And it's something that I've, that I've thought for, for many years. And it's actually interesting because I'm seeing a lot of people who are atheists actually starting to I remember saying this sort of maybe five or six years ago and people would very much like shoo-shoo it and think I'm trying to convert them to my to Christianity or whatever. And I'm like, no, that's not even my point. I'm not arguing for, I'm not even arguing for the existence of God or religion here. I am saying that I think a lot of what is happening is a vacuum being filled and sort of being supplanted by another secular religion of sorts with its own with its own doctrine with its own dogma with its own blasphemy laws right with, with all the things right even its own its own chants and there's this yeah i mean i, I see a lot of what's going on i don't know how can someone show me this and tell me this is not religious in inverted commas in a way so yeah i do think that is um i do think that's the case and from a sort of from an actual religious perspective i do believe that in the absence of god man becomes man becomes the thing to be worshipped right like man becomes god whether that is scientists or academics or just people's own selves right there's a very very narcissistic there's a very narcissistic streak to to all of this right i say that i am 
I am non-binary and now you must. It's not just, it's not enough for me to feel this way. It's everybody else must conform. They must use these words. If they don't, they will be punished. Everybody must do these things. It, it's an extremely narcissistic, you know, people can, if you're an adult, you can, you can, you can be what you want. If you wish to identify as a, a chicken, a camel, you, you're, you can, but you can't force me to go along with it. You can't force me to say whatever it is, you know, just like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not going around trying to beat people over the head with a Bible and force them to believe and conform to everything I, I may believe. And that is the, um, that's the problem. I think that there's, I, I think that there's a, a big vacuum there. I think that, I think it's also linked to rising levels of uh, anxiety and depression and people are feeling lonely, all this. I yeah. do think that a lot of it is from that lack of, ultimately people, people need meaning and purpose. Now, meaning and purpose can be fulfilled without a belief in God or a belief in a religion. No question. Um, however, I do believe that it's, I do believe that it's harder. I do believe that it's harder. And a lot of people end up supplanting it with, at least to some degree, with, with something else to get that feeling of community and meaning and purpose and good and evil and right and wrong and truth and untruth, etc. You know, we're now living in an era where people are saying my truth, your truth, <laughs> I know, their truth, right? <laughs> rather than rather than than the truth, it's almost like nothing is objective anymore. Um, and I must say, I also do find it quite amusing that you know people like to call religious people science deniers, right? <laughs> and I do have to say, I mean, you will struggle, Posey, to find someone who is who is religious who buys into a lot of this stuff because it, it's like. Ask a Christian, ask a Muslim, ask a Jew, like, ask them, you know, what is a woman? They can tell you clearly, <laughs> right? The, the, the people who can't are, I, I can't help, but this is not saying all or even most atheists go along with this, but the people who do go along with it do seem to very mostly uh, be atheists and quite often be anti-religion. And I've seen that sort of pattern enough times to be like, okay, I think that you are substituting something here where you've yeah. now lost that grip of reality where you know there's this idea that reality itself is totally objective sorry a totally subjective mm -hmm. whereas there are certain objective things you know regardless of someone's belief system etc we, we we should be able to agree on objective facts and then absolutely <laughs> and th we, we can debate the rest right how did mm -hmm. we all get here why are we here? What is the best way to live, et cetera? Where do morals come from? Those are deeper debates. But if we can't even agree on just the objective stuff, then that's very, that's very concerning to me. Uh, I think mm. it's concerning to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought on that. Well, I think the human condition, whether you're religious <coughs> or not, I think the human condition lends itself kind of because of the way we think about ourselves and we try to find meaning in everything and you know why does a flower grow we're not satisfied with the flower growing out of the ground we want to know exactly how it how it does it so the human condition lends itself to almost going crazy and in this narcissistic spiral if we don't have something greater than ourselves that we're heading towards mm. yeah I, I i agree i agree and um look i understand um I understand many of the criticisms people people may have of religion. I can I can understand 
I know and have had very, very deep conversations with enough atheists to understand why someone may not believe in God. I don't find that a particularly difficult thing to, to understand. Um, I wish some people could give the same sort of charity the other way around. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I, I understand that. But I think it's becoming and will become increase, increasingly clearer what can happen to a society and a culture if it becomes too unmoored from its foundational principles. In yeah. um, a country like the UK, it, do, it does have foundational principles. A lot of it is, you know, it is traditionally a Christian country, right? The, mm. It's not by accident. It's not by pure accident that the UK and the British people are the way they are as opposed to lots of, there are lots of other countries in the world and it's not like all of them ended up looking the same as the UK with the same beliefs and the same ideas. Even if I believe in God and you don't believe in God, we probably still agree on 95% of important things. And I don't mm. think that's by, I don't think that's by accident. I don't think that's just pure, okay, just reason and we reason and science and we, we just kind of got here. I think it's you know, and, and some people would make the argument, okay, we needed it up until that point and we don't anymore. Again, I would be, um, I, I would be quite cautious of that idea. This is not, a, again, it's not, it's not an argument for me trying to convert anybody. I just think it's quite an arrogant idea to make that assumption mm. that, okay, if, I, I, here, here's what it is. I think a lot of atheists think that if you remove God from society, that everyone is going to be uh, like Sam Harris. Right, like everyone's gonna, <laughs> right? Like everyone is gonna just be like very rational, reasonable, um, you know, clear thinking. It's, and I'm just like, no, that's not, that's not what's gonna happen. We're already sort of seeing, <laughs> we're already sort of seeing what may happen, and people will latch on to, probably not just one other thing. People, people will latch on to other things and other ideas because they're still trying to fill certain voids in in their life and and everyone wants a purpose everyone wants meaning i think it's um it's totally natural especially as an adult to you know not just think about you know think about a lot of things like what is the best way to to live one's life as a as a you know a, a son a daughter a brother a sister a mother a father a community member how how do we how what's the best way to treat each other how mm. what's and then and then what's the point what's the point of it all right if we are just totally on a on a on a spinning rock going around a, a, a burning fireball and we are just the same as a, we are just the same as other animals right we're not there's nothing particularly special about humans we're just a higher form of ape um i, I don't know like that that leads to a whole that to me that opens a whole nother Pandora's box, right? Of, of potentially dangerous ideas, and 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 again, we've seen this in the past. If you look at the twentieth, if you look at the twentieth century, it's not by accident that a lot of these um, very hardcore, um, very dangerous political ideologies were very vehemently opposed to religion, because by they they replaced religion, right? So. Yeah. You know, Nazism, Stalinism, communism, Maoism, all of these things were very hostile towards religion because by taking that out of people, they knew they could 
sit this other ideology on top of them to give them a sense of purpose, meaning, uh, community, something to strive for, etc. So in that vacuum, I think it's always likely for something, you know, to, to go along with it. So I wouldn't, so I, I'm very um, cautious and resistant and sort of, I ring the alarm to my atheist friends of, okay, well, in, don't, don't, don't be so sure that in that vacuum that what fills it is going to be better, <laughs> is going to be better <laughs> than what you think for, for all the flaws you may think uh, Christianity may have, et cetera. Don't be so certain that what could come next would be, would be better because I don't see much evidence that that's the case. Certainly not on a large scale basis. Not if you're talking yeah. about millions. I'm not talking about individuals. I'm talking about across millions of people. I'm not, I don't know, I'm not sold on it. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I, as obviously the, the number one commenter on race in this country right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> I want to ask, I saw a picture, I saw a couple of things today that really made me laugh. Um, and A, that was protests in my own very small, predominantly white town okay. where lots of people gathered in the park to protest the uh, Black Lives Matter, or, to, mm -hmm. or rather to support Black Lives sure, Matter. Sure. But then I also saw social media influencers, kind of you, you see a setup of them going and just popping into a crowd <laughs> with a sign or photoshopping a sign. And whilst I think that's terrible virtue signaling, we can talk about the, the, the terrible thing that people yeah. do to try and be accepted. Mm. Broader than that, I think, is the fact that people feel the need to do it and yes. i think that's quite that's quite worrying that it's okay to go and ha have a sign but we can't have the serious conversations about what's going on and also social media at the moment if you don't if you didn't share a black square then you are a racist mm -hmm. oh, how did we get here <laughs> I had people unfollow me for nothing, and, and, and specific, specifically let me know they unfollowed me because I, uh, I, I broke the uh, one day silence and didn't post a black square. And uh, ironically, it was it was actually a white woman too. Who, who <laughs> so, I'm not it, surprised. It's, it's, it's funny on numerous levels, you know, the, the idea of me being a black guy. I don't care about black. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to explain the I don't need to explain the humor and irony. You clearly hate your family. You don't care about. <laughs> any of your relatives yeah yeah um yeah so sorry what was the what was the question how did we get here well i'm just interested in in the fact that we now live in a in a society where you have to constantly tell people mm. about what your views are and they have to fit in with everybody else's yeah and i, yeah. I, I think it's very worrying yeah it's it's a lot of different things it's a lot of different things you know um I do believe that lack of lack of honesty and lack of authenticity is at the root of a lot of these problems. I think that if people were willing to just be okay, let, let's just be let let's put all the PC stuff to the side. Let's for a moment let's not you know we're not going to go out of our way to offend or upset people, but let's just have a real conversation about this. Let's not. Let's not hide the ball on certain certain statistics or deny facts. Let's just talk about all of this openly, right? If you actually want to solve the problem, that's why I get frustrated because, you know, I do care about Black Lives. And one of my biggest criticisms of Black Lives Matter is 
regardless of their slogan, the reality of the movement is Black Lives Matter if Black Lives Matter in the rare incidents when they happen to be killed by a white police officer. That would be a much more honest slogan, right? Because you're looking at 0.1% of the problem and they're ignoring 99.9%. Why, why does it even make the news when, so, you know, firstly, before someone tries to take me out of context, absolutely condemn any um, unjustified police murder. What happened to George Floyd and has happened to other people is, is terrible. And everyone is on the same page. And I mm. believe, hope that those cops, you know, have to, you know, that, that guy deserves to be in prison for what he did. Um, with, with that said, the reason those stories even, the reason we're even aware of that, the reason we know this person's name is actually because that's an extremely rare incident. People mm. are trying to make it sound like this is a pandemic. This is the way that most people, in, this is the way most black people in America are dying. And it's just like, that is such a, it's not even remotely close to the truth, right? We know that over 90% of the black people killed in America are killed by other black people. So if the movement is Black Lives Matter, my question, I've had this conversation with my friends, with my family, it's, it's, it's quite tiring because you know a lot of people don't share my perspective on this, but I'm like, look, I, I struggle to take this whole thing seriously if we're not willing to talk about the whole, the whole picture and not just yeah. focus on this tiny percent. Look, if you totally eliminated racism from America, you totally eliminated it from everybody's heart, you totally fixed the police brutality issue, we've still got 99.9% .9 of the problem. So my question is like, okay, I'm not saying this is not an issue, but how were millions and millions of people so outraged at the 0.1%? And apparently a lot of people just don't even care about the rest of it because it doesn't make them feel good. It's not pleasant to talk about. It's not politically correct. It's not trendy. There's no hashtag for it, right? There's no, the, the weekend before George Floyd died, 10 black people were shot just in Chicago, just that weekend, right? Crickets. Okay, what happened to George Floyd was horrible, but at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of like, look, guy, like, why can't we just speak on all of this honestly? Let's talk about mm -hmm. all of the problems. I'm happy to talk about racism. I'm happy to talk about police brutality. I'm happy to talk about all of these things, but to act like this is the, the, the biggest problem here when all of this other stuff is going to happen, and then also ignoring the fact that, you know, out of the police, out of the unarmed people, killed by police in America, black people are less, are about, I think it's about 30%. I think it's about 30%. Nine unarmed black people were killed last year, um, which is which is bad if the shooting is unjustified. But again, you know, over 7,000, over 7,000 murders in total. Just black people, over, okay. over 7,000. So I'm just kind of like, man, you know, I, I reach a stage where I feel like I have to almost drop out of the conversation until people... <laughs> until people are willing to just be honest and say, okay, can we, can we, I'm happy to talk about what you want to talk about, but can we also expand the focus, right? Can we not just be so laser like on this one? And I also can't help but note the only time black lives matter get hype is during election years. I know I listened to Candace Owens on it. It's, it's cause you can talk year. and Candace can talk. I yeah. can't, I can't <laughs> make these points, obviously. And that's, and that's also part of the problem. You know, I believe in the message. I believe the message is more important than the messenger. And, you know, I can understand that. Yeah, sure. On certain issues, it may have more 
it may have more weight and supposed credibility coming from say someone in someone who's inside that demographic but a truth is a truth right mm -hmm. you if if a white person says the same statistic that i do they shouldn't be called a racist or be called whatever it's like well if this is a fact then they're merely they're merely expressing a fact and it's a fact that's actually important if if we want to go beyond feeling good and being popular and you know fitting in and not rocking the boat if that's what people care more about than potentially getting uncomfortable and fixing problems then those problems are going to remain and mm -hmm. i think this is something that a lot of people who criticize me um don't understand about me is that i care more how would i put it i don't care about the emotions so much because i do care about getting to the solution so much yeah you, do you see what i mean so yeah i do yeah it, yeah so if someone wants to talk about okay why are why are so many young black guys in london like stabbing each other okay i care about that issue so much that i don't care if talking about it openly and talking about statistics and whatever up, upsets some people right or if i say fatherlessness is a problem and someone you know wants to get upset because they think i'm dissing single mothers or i'm saying that no nobody raised by a single mother i'm not it's like i'm not saying any of these things i'm just talking I'm, I'm talking about the facts here so yes it might be uncomfortable and in fact it should be uncomfortable but if we really really want to solve these problems we've got to be willing to talk at it from about it from different angles we can't mm -hmm. just say it's just this one thing because it's not any one thing and people like to take multifaceted problems and reduce it to a single variable and yeah. that that's that's never the case you know people do it on, on a lot of things it's um you get some you know some so-called feminists who do this with things like the the gender pay gap right where they just say there is a disparity here therefore sexism and it's just like come on guys you know i've, I've seen people do this with um during this COVID outbreak we've seen that there is um the death rate amongst um uh, black and Asian people seems like it's it's actually higher and it seems like there are a lot of different factors to do to, that have to do with that some socioeconomic some might just be uh, genetic factors some are likely to be um, greater levels of uh, vitamin D deficiency amongst people with darker skin and cold country there are a whole bunch of factors but people are just seeing that disparity and going see Zuby that's proof of systemic racism <laughs> and I'm like bro come on how are you going to tell me that more people in a certain de demographic dying of a certain disease is automatically based on racism like come on you know it's just like you know it's it, it just it gets very frustrating and it's again it's just that lack of honesty and lack of willingness to be open and to talk about things and all of that so i i love talking to anyone who is willing to it doesn't really matter the issue like anyone who's willing to mm -hmm. do that and not constantly try to misrepresent what the other person is saying, right? That's the other one where people start yeah. saying, oh, like you said this. I'm like, no, I didn't say that, right? I didn't say that. I didn't, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, we've got, we've got the, there's two situations, right? We talked about, you just mentioned the knife crime in London. And I sort of think if I'm that mother sitting at home and the news is delivered to me that my son has just been stabbed, do I think society is more racist because they don't deal with it and they won't unravel it and they won't solve it? Or do I think it's racist for saying it is black kids that are dying? I think I'm going to go with the former. I think mm. I'm going to think that my kid matters and you can talk about it ha however you like as long as he's not getting killed. Yeah. 
And two, if COVID-19 is this racist illness and it spreads through not social distancing, isn't it quite bad just to break the lockdown and just all gather together? As long as you've got a sign, does that mean that it's like a vaccine? I, I, the, the, the fact that social, the, the speed at which social distancing has gone out the window in light of these protests and demonstrations is actually like, it might, it might be the, the biggest act of hypocrisy I've seen in my life. Because literally, like three weeks ago, I had people getting, because I, I was in the, the lockdowns are excessive camp, and I still am, right? I still can't go to the gym, right? I can go to London and, and demonstrate with 5,000 people on the street, all like coughing and spitting next to each other <laughs> in, the, in the heat. And that's totally fine. Um, but if I go to the gym with like 10 other people who are, who are scattered around, then mm. I'm somehow killing your grandma. And it, the, the hypocrisy, I mean, it's been quite funny watching the reaction to even, because, you know, Piers Morgan's son went to the protest. And obviously, uh. Piers, you know, <laughs> obviously, Piers has been like the, the probably the most prominent person in terms of shaming people for breaking lockdowns, etc. And then for him to post on Twitter about how proud he was of his son to, to go to, <laughs> it has been Gotta quite be fun watching. It has been, you know, and he was going so in on Dominic Cummings, etc. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is out the window. And I have had people say, oh, well, you know, this is different. This is about racial. I'm like, oh, really? You think the virus cares? You, <laughs> you're, you're telling me the virus has like a political position and it knows specifically, okay, these people are demonstrators. They're there for a good cause. Um, so I'm not going to infect them. Like all the rules break now. <laughs> It's uh, the morality it's of COVID, eh? Who knew? Yeah, it is funny. It is kind of funny. You mentioned the gym there, and I've read a few of your tweets that you're quite exasperated that you can't go. <laughs> and, and I know you're mad keen. You and I share such a mad keenness for fitness, right? <laughs> um, so two things. Also, I've heard you're a multimillionaire, so I wondered why you haven't got oh, no. your own gym. Um, and secondly, um, I, I want to lead on to sort of physical wellness and, and mental health because I'll just tell you this year, my 11 year old who's still at primary school had a week at school on mental health, which I think okay. is basically school saying, Hey kids, let's examine your mental health until you've got a mental health issue. Mm. Um, and this, this lends itself also to the idea that we are not our bodies anymore and everything is becoming so far removed. Um, just very quickly, a friend of mine was a, was a vegetarian or vegan for a couple of decades and she was very unwell and nobody, nobody ever asked her what she was eating. Mm. And actually it was the, the veganism that was, that was slowly killing her body. So on the fitness, um, you've written a, a fa fabulous book and I think you're doing some fitness in lockdown. Uh, yeah. So how's that going? And what do you think that does for people's mental health? Wow. Um, yeah, well, firstly, yes, I'm definitely missing the gym. I think they've all been closed for about 10 weeks now. Um, firstly, I think it's, it's again, I think it's very hypocritical, yet somewhat amusing that you've locked the gyms up for, for over 10 weeks in the name of people's health. Because <laughs> most people have, both mentally and physically, I imagine most people are and have been getting in much worse shape than they had been previously and i'm also amused by the idea that mcdonald's is open and so i can go to mcdonald's but i can't go to the gym that's also kind of amusing um yeah so i think um 
Wow. I think that this has a lot of impacts. I, I'm trying to think of where to go in this because there are so many interesting Sorry. points to be made. No, no, it's fine. Firstly, I think um, here, here's, a, here's a radical idea. I think that the entire way we use the term healthcare should probably change, right? Because when people say healthcare, they automatically think NHS, doctors, nurses, hospitals, etc. 95% of your healthcare is your habits. It's your nutrition. It's your, your dietary habits. It's uh, how much sleep you're getting, how much water you're drinking, how much you're exercising, how you're exercising. That is healthcare. Most of healthcare is what we do on a on a day-to-day -day basis, taking taking care of your own health. Going to a hospital, that's that in itself is a suggestion of emergency healthcare, right? You don't go to the doctor every day for, for healthcare reasons. It's only when something goes wrong, right? When there's a chink mm -hmm. in the arm or when something breaks through your immune system. So I think that whole conversation sort of needs to go up a level. I think it's totally crazy that every time from a, from a governmental perspective, from a public policy perspective, every time there's a talk about healthcare, it's all to do with the NHS. It's never to do with, okay, what can people do on an individual level, on a community level? What can we do to improve people's health, to reduce obesity, to reduce smoking, to reduce people overdosing on drugs, et cetera, all the things that people do, which lead to them ending up in hospital or increasing the chance for it. Even, even during this whole pandemic, we know that this virus, who are the populations most at risk, right? The greatest risk factor beyond age, obesity, right? That, that's, that's it. And again, people don't want to say this because it's not politically correct. And it's just like, I'm, I'm, this is why I oppose political correctness, because I'm like, yo, your political correctness is killing people, man, right? Mm -hmm. if, if we can't discuss this stuff, if we can't talk about the fact that obesity is a massive comorbidity for um, coronavirus and many other diseases, because that may upset some people. I mean, you remember when they had the Cancer Research UK ads and they, yeah. and they had the thing um, saying that after smoking, obesity was the, the biggest um, preventable cause of cancer or risk mm. of cancer and people protested that they had the audacity to state this medical fact and saying that it was fat phobic it was fat i'm just like that's the stage where i'm like this this place has issues like <laughs> this is you, you see what i mean it's like th yeah. this is crazy like this is just a fact this is not an opinion this is not someone coming in with some political agenda this is a cancer research charity telling you hey you know, it's, it's on the pack of the cigarettes. It tells you smoking causes cancer. If you want, if someone wants to take that risk, it's a, it's a free country. They're allowed to take that risk, but to act like it's not a fact is just, is just crazy to me. So that, that's my thought. And I think, um, yeah, I, I think the, I, I don't think we can measure it yet, but I think the, I think the consequences of this long-term lockdown and social isolation for a lot of people, et cetera, Beyond the economic ramifications, I do think that in terms of people's physical and mental and general well-being, I, I just don't feel like people have really accounted for the potential uh, downside risk there, especially the people who want to keep extending the lockdowns and think that we should just lock up until there's a, a vaccine, and it, which, is, which is crazy. I mean, that's, mm. that's, that's a crazy take. Um, it's like people are not thinking beyond coronavirus, which, by the way, has a 
well, I, I don't even know the numbers, but I believe a zero, less than 0.1% chance of killing you, even if you do get it. So why don't we just protect the, the very vulnerable, protect the elderly, you know, provide additional care if needed, um, be very wary around nursing homes, because that seems to be where at least half of the people are dying. And then for other people, for people who are, who are younger, healthier, like let's just let's scale back into getting back to normal. I'm not saying tomorrow let's have Glastonbury Festival. That, that, that's probably not a good idea. But you, people can only be isolated for, for so long. Um, and people can only be not working for so long and not seeing their friends and not seeing their family. All this stuff takes all this stuff takes a toll. Like I'm someone who's very, very emotionally resilient, very emotionally resilient, way more than most people. But even I'm going, like, I'm noticing, like, man, I'm not, it feels like there's a sort of limit on my happiness right now, right? Like, I can get to 70%, but it's hard to get beyond that, right? If I can't exercise properly, I can't see my friends, I can't do, have social interactions, I can't travel and do, do gigs and do speaking things and do, do my work. Um, like, I can do the online stuff, but I, I want to go and talk to people and, and do stuff. And yeah, I don't know. I don't think, um, I just feel like th this whole situation, I think perhaps it's revealed it, but it's, um, pe people, I think the general theme here is pe people sort of focusing really hard on just one aspect of a thing when actually there are lots of other considerations that need to be need to be made and need to be balanced and compromises need to be made and you know it's not um and also this uh one thing i've noticed a lot is people painting false dichotomies creating false binaries so if you want to end the lockdown it's because you don't care about people's health and you want grandma to die and you you're just evil and you're callous etc like no right <laughs> that that's that's not the case right if you if you uh don't support looting and violence and burning down entire cities and destroying businesses, many of which are black owned, by the way. If you don't support that, it's because you don't care about racial injustice. It's because you don't care about George Floyd. It's because you don't care about, and it's just like, no, I, I can think that both of these things are, are wrong. I can think that what mm -hmm. happened to this man was terrible and that the police officer must be prosecuted. I can also think it's a darn shame that more than 10 more people have now died in the USA as a result of violent outbreaks and violent protests, including five, at least at least five black people have been died. So this is the thing, right? If we're, if we're talking numbers here, it's like, okay, what, what use, using one death to justify another, another 15, that doesn't make sense to me. That's, that's emotional. That's not making sense, right? Like I can support, I can say, yes, people have a right to protest. People have a right to be angry. People have a right to demonstrate. I can also say I think it's really, really wrong to be beating up store owners or to be mm. to be shooting people or to be just burn some of the some of the stuff I've seen. It's 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 awful, right? <laughs> videos of people literally being run over by cars or being stabbed or be, and I'm just like, look, that's not none of these people had anything to do with the incident or the mm. incidents that made you angry. So no matter how angry you are, I can be angry. I don't have the right to just go and like burn cars in the car park and, and loot yeah. Sainsbury's because I'm angry. That's not, 
that's just not how the world works. It's not how it's not how the law works either. The, the judge is not going to care that you are mad, you know. Well, I kind of feel there's a tan. I can almost when I talk like this, I almost kind of I I can almost touch the fact that what we seem to be saying is not particularly real. It's not mm. actually unearthing what's really happening, and the things that we're not allowed to say is what's really going on. So a 200 pound, a 200 pound pair of trainers that you've just stole from Macy's or $200 pair of trainers <coughs> that you've just stole from Macy's is not supporting an anti-racist ideology. That's just getting a free pair of trainers. Yes. Um, and so all of this stuff is, is tangibly false. And I don't understand why people can't see it. Yeah, I don't know. There's, there's so much black and white thinking on stuff that is gray um and maybe a lot of gray thinking on stuff that is black and white mm. um so it's um yeah i don't know it's a weird one i mean i'm I've, I've been trying to understand this myself you know i've had a lot of conversations recently even with my my friends and my family about all these different situations that are going on and um i, I think i have sort of just come to the conclusion that i think i'm in the minority of people who is more, far more logic and reason led, at least relatively, than I am emotional. So, you know, Ben Shapiro famously has his facts don't care about your feelings thing. Like, I'm very much in that camp. I notice that even when people criticize me, they tend to criticize my tone. Mm. They tend to criticize the way what I, the, the way I worded it, right? The way, rather than what I actually said, it tends to be, ooh, I, I don't like the way he, you could he could have phrased that better, or I wouldn't have phrased it that way, or it's like, well, it doesn't matter. Is what I said wrong? If what I said is wrong, I actually change my mind very quickly on issues, right? If mm. if if someone can show me or tell me if I've got something wrong and I say something and someone's like, oh no, it's it's that, and I'm like, I will change my mind. I've changed my mind on on many things, and it, it happens pretty quickly. But if it's just an emotional feely feely thing i'm like okay i get you feel like that but i kind of don't really care i care in a way but i also don't really care right if i'm trying to get to a get to a solution here how it makes people feel doesn't doesn't it just doesn't matter so much like the, the truth is the truth there are a lot of truths in the world that i wish were not the truth there are so there are so many things that i'm like man i, I wish i really wish it wasn't like that but it just it just is right it's just something that is like that it's something that just happened it's not it's not nice it's not pleasant it's not comfortable but it it just it just is see i would uh, i would i would i agree with what you say but i would say it's more compassionate to be truthful right so mm. it's more compassionate to tell the person that has false thinking or quite damaged thinking that is ultimately going to damage them on a personal level. Yeah. I think Jordan Peterson's made this point, so I won't claim it as my own, <laughs> but to tell someone the truth and to lead them into a kind of a truthful existence, which sounds also lofty, but um, I think that's far more compassionate. I think that's yeah. a far more emotional human thing to do. I, I agree with you that it's more compassionate. However, it doesn't appear to be. No. Right. There's a big difference between doing what is good or doing what does good and doing what feels good. And telling the truth does not, he, telling the truth and hearing the truth often does not feel good. And we know this. I don't like to be criticized. No. Even if the criticism <laughs> is, even if the criticism is valid, 
I don't like to hear it. You know, mm. I don't like to hear it. I do prefer, you know, someone to tell me something that feels good, even if it's not 100% genuine. And, and I do believe every single human being is like that. And we know we're like that. So we also know other people are like that. So it's, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a difficult thing. I think sometimes you have to compromise a little and maybe, how would I put it, make it obvious that you care before delivering the truth rather than just straight up delivering the truth. I think that's maybe something that I can do better at times. Uh, make it clear, okay, like I do care, but here's the truth rather than just going, here's the truth. I kind of, if I'm talking to someone who doesn't need that, then I don't need to do it. But mm -hmm. I'm understanding that, okay, not everyone is wired the same way as I am. Most people are more sensitive emotionally than I am. So even if it wouldn't upset me, it may upset another person. This doesn't mean you need to cater to people who are totally emotionally incontinent, but just, yeah, keeping in mind for the sake of getting the message across, um, for the sake of getting the message across. Cause I think once people feel, I, I do believe once people feel heard, they'll be more willing to hear you. And it seems less like you're trying to sort of nullify what they're saying or totally counter it, et cetera. So that, that's kind of, I mean, th these, these are things I'm learning. I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly trying to improve the way I communicate because I do want my message to, to get out to people. I do believe that my overall message is, is good and is positive and is inspiring and rooted in love, et cetera. So for the people who don't think that it is, sure, I'll never be able to, you can't win over everybody. You really no. can't. But um, I have had people who... I have received messages. I have received emails from people who have been like, you know what? Like, I first came across you six months ago, and I really didn't like, really didn't like some of the stuff you were saying, and I, I didn't like it. But actually, like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you now. <laughs> so, I, 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 <laughs> excuse me. So, I, so I, I have, I have received that. Yeah. I read a tweet. I think where somebody said that that you really saved her with her. She had quite severe PTSD, mm. and some of the things you said had had really made her quite a dramatic impact on her. So that must yeah. be overwhelmingly lovely to receive messages like that. It is lovely. Um, I had two people last year um, tell me that I helped them to beat cancer. So, you know, the, the, so that's um, regardless of whatever levels of, of hate or anger or trolling I receive, um, I, I always have stuff like that where I'm like, well, if my words, whether it's my music or my interviews or podcasts or even just social media posts can have such a strong impact that it keeps someone fighting when stuff looks quite bleak. Yeah. And it reminds them that, okay, like, you know, the, because my overall message, a large part of it is that, look, life is not fair. Some, some stuff does suck, right? Bad stuff can happen to good people, et cetera. The, the world is harsh, but ultimately it does come down to us. Like we, we do need to be responsible. We need to do what we can as individuals to, to make things better. It, we all, there's, there's always stuff to complain about. We can always blame other things. We can blame the system. There's all these invisible boogeymen, which we can always blame, but everybody, whether you're a man, a woman, black, white, straight, gay, whatever, ultimately in the long term, your success is up to you. So you can, you can, you can play the victim game and you can talk about all the bad things and all of that. And <clears throat> maybe there, maybe there are times and places where, where that needs to be done. 
Um, but ultimately, it's it's up to you, right? If you are if you are an alcoholic, right? Sure, there can be lots of things in the past and things that, that have to do with that. There can be external reasons, etc. But fundamentally, you are the one who is ingesting that substance into your body, right? So if you're vastly overweight, you are the one who's you're the one you're the one eating the food. Yeah. So I can coddle you. People can coddle you and say it's not your fault. Nothing is your fault. It's the companies. It's the organizations. It's the it's the man. It's it's all of these things except you, right? We need to sue the fast food companies because they're. It's like no, no one is forcing you to eat McDonald's four times a day. No, no one's forcing you to eat garbage. Like you can, we all have supermarkets. Like I've seen the range of food in there. There's a lot of healthy options. You see what I mean? So yeah, we can coddle you and make excuses. But like you were saying, I do believe ultimately, long term, the compassionate thing to do is be like, okay, you know, like this is on you. Um, mm -hmm. If you're willing to take that responsibility, I'm very happy to. It's why I wrote my fitness book. Right. I'm very happy to, to help you if, if you're missing the knowledge and you, you don't know how to do it. I can help you with that, but I can't. I'm not going to sit next to you and feed you and control, <laughs> you know, whip you to go to the gym or whatever. Like you, you've got to do that yourself. So here are the tools and I can try to help you with the mindset part. Um, but then it, it's ultimately up to you. And even when really bad, you know, terrible stuff happens to people all the time. You know, and it's and it's harsh. It's 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 awful. Like bad things happen to people, but the way you respond to them is that that's the part you can control. Mm. You know, that's the part you can control. So that's really the sort of I'd say that's sort of the root of a lot of my message. And for some people, it can sound some aspects of it can sound a little bit a little bit harsh or a little bit uncaring or whatever. And it's not that. It's just caring on a different level not not on a mm. superficial level but like genuinely wanting the best for you not wanting to make you feel as comfortable as possible but wanting to wanting to to help you or help you to help yourself um i think that's that's ultimately what it's about yeah well i sometimes have these visions in the still of the night and i think if somebody told me that there were a group of quite awful people having a big old game of risk with the globe right now mm. and actually there's this conspiracy and we're not really in control of everything i sometimes have moments where i would believe it but <laughs> who do you think with all the division uh, because there's obviously winners and losers whatever happens in this world who wins with the division do you think oh wow sorry <laughs> yeah um it, it's a good question i think that I certainly think that there's a political class, and I, I'm not using this in any sort of conspiratorial sense, but I think that there are people in the world of, of politics, of uh, national level and global level politics, who do understand the benefits of people being divided, because the more people divided are, are the more people are divided, and the more the less empowered they are, the more they seek, the more they seek towards the government. Right. This is just a, a pattern. It's something that that people do. Right. People who are not self-reliant seek governmental help, governmental support, etc. So people who w wish to grow, people who benefit from the government and its authority and its power and its reach growing. Those are the people who, who benefit from people being divided, whether it's, mm -hmm. you know, men fighting women or black people fighting white people or whatever 
narrative it is, those are the people who ultimately benefit. Because if people do come together and families are strong and individuals are self-reliant, then, you know, there's less need for, there's less need for government. You know, I'm somewhat, I'm not, I'm not a pure libertarian, but I'm someone who's relatively libertarian leaning. And a lot of that stems from the idea of, of, of empowerment right mm -hmm. of look if you have your things in order and you, you you've got your family you've got your community you've got your friends etc then sure uh, you know this is why i'm not i'm not a full-blown libertarian or or anarcho-capitalist it's like no i think we some semblance of government is good but the government shouldn't have to do everything right if 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 i uh if i'm going across having some difficult times it's not the government's job to take to take care of me, right? That's not what a government is for in my mind, right? Like if people slip through all of the different cracks and end up in a really, really terrible place, then yes, I actually agree. There should be some form of national level or state level safety net, sure. Mm. But it shouldn't be, it should be a net, not a hammock, right? It shouldn't be so comfortable <laughs> that <laughs> it makes more sense that people are incentivized not to empower themselves and, and not to work and not to take care of their children or not to even look after their elderly parents or do whatever. Um, and so I think that that's where people benefit from division. I believe a divided population, a divided group, people who are angry, people who are fearful are always going to be more easy to control. And that seems to be true all over the world. It seems yeah. to be true all throughout history that, um, yeah, when people are fragmented and, and weakened and emotionally, I mean, you're just seeing it right now. People are people are very emotionally fearful right now on a on a on a large level, on a national level, on a global level. And I think this pandemic's actually been a great example because you've seen just how quickly, regardless of how much people talk about liberty and freedom, even in the UK, even in USA, the land of the free, you've seen how quickly people will submit to total government control if they are afraid um some may argue that the fear is valid some may argue that the fear is not valid but regardless we we've just witnessed how quickly people will just be like okay i'm not even going to leave my house right you, you've just had millions of people not just you know the, you didn't need to send out the army or anything just lock them, <laughs> lock themselves away in the house for for weeks on end out of fear out of something that realistically has a very 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 minor chance of impacting most people in any mm. sort of severe way so yeah let that be well um... i've had no smell and no taste for about 10 weeks oh really so i've definitely <laughs> i've definitely had it and then apparently it just stays this thing that you gradually get your senses back but oh, really? um so i you know i've had no other symptoms whatsoever yeah. um and what happens with that I thought that would reduce my appetite, but no, because my body still craves the things that I can't taste. And because I can't taste them, I'm probably eating more than ever because my body's going, hang on, you've just eaten all that. I didn't taste a damn thing. Can you do some more? But um, yeah, the, the, the whole situation with the lockdown, for example, when Boris put out the, which I thought was relatively clear information about stay alert, right? And everyone was like, well, can I do this? Can I, you know, I wish I knew whether or not to send my child to school. And mm -hmm. I just thought, it's your child. Can you not make that decision for, on your own? 
No, and it's because you know people people have gotten used to that. You know, people have gotten used to that. Um, I, I said this the other day, but I, I said it quite flippantly. But I think actually it's quite. It was relatively, perhaps relatively profound and needs some more thought. I said that human beings are herd animals that pretend that we're not. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Yeah. So I'll go with that. Yeah. So we 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 think of ourselves as being very individualistic. And, you know, people being very free thinking and, you know, more rational and being able to do what they want. But the theme of a lot of this conversation has been actually people, majority of people will go with the herd and mm -hmm. will submit to whatever the, I don't know, whatever the common knowledge is. Or we've, we've been hearing a lot over the last few months about um, what the experts say. And... <laughs> I don't know how many times the uh, experts have been have been wrong now, but just by using that word, I don't even know who the experts are. But and I also don't know how you can be an expert on something that is only three months old, because it takes a while to be an expert. So well, perhaps they created it in Wuhan. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> yeah, the experts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, it's um, yeah, and it's 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 been really interesting from a as someone who uh, I'm not a psychologist. But as someone who's very interested in human psychology, it has been a very interesting year on multiple levels just to see the way people react to and respond to things. Um, mm. I think there's there's kind of a lot to be a lot to be learned there. But um, it's something I've thought for a while, you know, especially, um, you know, one of the greatest things and one of the greatest values of the Western world, of course, is freedom and liberty. But um. I have maintained for a while that I don't really believe that I think if you ask people what is most important to them, I think a lot of people would say freedom or would say liberty. I'm not sold. I don't really believe that that's what I don't really believe that's true for the majority. I think it's easy to say that when nothing is nothing's going on and stuff is just fine. But I think you do see like as soon as I, th I think safety and security mm. are actually much more important to people in reality for the most part. And that also helps to. Yeah, I don't know. I, th I think it, it helps to understand a lot of things in the world. So like me, you know, as someone who grew up in the Middle East, grew up in Saudi Arabia, a lot of people in the West are, you know, extremely critical of Saudi Arabia and other countries based around things of certain aspects of freedom and liberty but um and, and i can understand that of course but i can also see the other side of it and a country like saudi arabia their core value is not liberty that's not the core value that's not the thing that they are striving to to maximize in in their society and actually once you understand that it, it makes it easier to understand other other cultures some people don't like this because they call this is what they call some people call cultural relativism and they they don't like this idea that you shouldn't judge everything totally objectively, but I think it's a lot easier to understand the way other countries and other cultures do things if you can understand that freedom and liberty are not the only things that a society may be seeking to to maximize. It could be it could be something else, and then it makes a lot more sense. Like if you if you're trying to maximize freedom, then you have to you have to make some sacrifices in terms of security in terms of safety, right? It would make a lot of sense to, you know, you can't drink in Saudi Arabia, alcohol is banned. 
but you know, as a result of that, <laughs> there aren't a lot of alcoholics. There aren't a lot of people <laughs> dying from alcohol poisoning. There aren't a lot of people getting in, in street fights because they're drunk or people, uh, you know, causing all this havoc with alcohol. Um, and, and that's the fact, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's constantly, tr it's constant trade-offs. I think the real question is, okay, what are the, what are the acceptable and unacceptable trade-offs? Because if you wanted to, if you wanted to create a society and maximize safety and security, you have to restrict freedom, right? You, you have to, you have to, you, you'd, you'd, okay, let's think, let's think of what the biggest killers are. Okay. We're going to cut this. We're going to reduce the speed limit to 30 miles per hour. We're going to ban cigarettes. We're going to ban alcohol. We're going to um, ban maybe where maybe we'll have a curfew. You can't go out past a certain time because that's when it's more dangerous. You, you'd, you'd have to, if the goal was security, you've got to reduce freedoms. Look at all the counter terrorist measures that have been, you know, now every time you go, never, you can't take a bottle of water. Right? I, I'm all, you know, like you, you used to be able to just get, get on the plane and, you know, now you, you take, now you have to take your shoes off and remove your belt and, you know, go through this search every time. And that's for our own safety. It's for our own security. But, you know, it's not a massive uh, violation of, of freedom. It's very temporary. But it's, uh, it's again, but what about CCTV? And uh, I mean, that's an interesting one because there's way more CCTV, for example, in the UK than in the US. In the US, they don't even have speed cameras, right? Because, no, they don't, you know, they don't have speed cameras because that's considered a, a certain violation of liberty and privacy. Right, having cameras on the street which are taking taking pictures. So these, the UK is a much more CCTV'd, much more highly surveyed country than America is. If you look at things like guns, that's a great example. Right in the UK, people are like a lot of people in the UK look at the Second Amendment in the U in the USA and they're like, "This is crazy. You can just own a you can just own an AR-15. I've got friends who own sniper rifles." Right. <laughs> so, so from a UK perspective or a European perspective, that's like. That's crazy. But Americans are like, you know, especially if you're in, in the South or the Midwest, they're like, that's freedom. You know, um, they'll freedom, talk, I, yeah. I, I talk to my American friends and they're like, they, they think it's crazy. I can't own a gun. They think they think it's crazy. Right. They're trying to get me to move to Texas and be like, you know, you're going to move to Texas and, you know, we're going to get you some. Guns. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just different ways of looking at things, you know, and I think the UK US differences actually in particular are quite interesting because they're two countries which are considered very very close and very similar but there are some real big really big differences that make it very difficult for people to sort of see eye to eye on certain ones i think the i think the gun one is a is a is a really big one actually because mm. well if you're from from here if you're looking at what's happening in the states right now and you think oh my gosh and they're they're armed and it's so terrible and i can't understand it if you're a pro second amendment american you're like look yeah. what they're doing yeah. <laughs> and we've got guns yeah. imagine what would happen if with this with this tyrannical government if we didn't mm. have guns exactly and the, and the whole concept of rights is different so for, so for people who aren't really familiar with the us um, or haven't haven't spent much time there it's good to understand that the very concept of rights in the usa is different to how it is in most of europe so in the U in Europe, most people understand the idea that the government gives them rights, the government grants them their rights. So if the government says something it's a is a right, or perhaps even a body like the UN or the EU says something is a right, then that's what makes it a right. In the USA, the whole country was founded on a different principle. The idea is that you have inalienable rights, which are given by God, and the government's job is to protect them. 
So that's why that's why in the USA you have absolute freedom of speech. That's why you have the right to bear arms. Shall it's not it's not that you have the right to bear arms. It's the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. It's it's assumed you have the right to bear arms, mm. and the government should not infringe upon that. That's why you have people who anytime the government wants to put in any kind of gun control measure or limit any type of weapon, you have millions of people who are like, heck no, that is not. You can't do that. That's an infringement. Like we've got this thing. You can't infringe that. You can't infringe freedom of speech. You can't infringe freedom of religion, etc. It's not the government's job. You did not give me this right. So, if people can understand that, then I think even even if they still think the gun thing is kind of crazy, um, that's why that's why it's like that. It's not that the government gave you that right. It's that you have that right, and the government is now trying to take it from you. So yeah. the reason why you have that gun is to prevent them from doing that. And if people can understand that, they may not agree with it. They may think it's uh, it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to me. I'm not trying to bring the Second Amendment to the UK, but <laughs> if if I were if I lived in the USA, like I'd be strapped. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I think we don't understand it because some people don't have a neighbor for like 25 miles. Yeah. Of course, you want to be able to defend mm. your own home. But even little things, it's not just about those sort of rights and stuff. But I've spent time with Americans, and. And I've spent time with Norwegians, for example, and I would say we are much closer culturally to people in Norway, both in our sense of humor and some of our values. And we might we might have assumed to be with people who yes. share our own language. Yeah, I think I, I think you just struck on why that is. I, I've said for a while, I think if the UK and USA spoke different languages, then the differences would be more obvious. I think that because we have this common language of English and obviously some parts of a shared shared common history, we we sort of think that it's more very similar, whereas it may be true that the UK might be more similar to Norway or Denmark or Germany or France even um, than, than we are to the US. But um, but yeah, no, it's interesting. I mean, that's to be honest, that's one of the I, I'm extremely grateful for the way. I've grown up and the opportunity to grow up in a range of different countries with different people and different cultures because it's giving me given me an ability certainly more than most people to sort at least see things from different see things from different angles and understand that okay it's not just as simple as this is the you know the way the UK does things is the best way to do things and and that's just it and any other country culture nation has just has just got it wrong um, that's not first, firstly, mo most countries think that <laughs> most, most countries think the way they do things is the right way to do things. And, um, you know, I've got, I think there are, there are positives, there are negative, there, there's things I like about all of them. There are certain things I, I dislike. There are some things I think that are great in the UK. There's things I think are great in Saudi Arabia. There's things I think are great in Nigeria, great in the USA. There's also things I think are, are bad or are problems that are much bigger problems than some of them. Than they are in other, but um, it's uh, it's it's an interesting thing, and you know, I try I try to speak from that perspective just to just to give people uh, help people open their minds a bit and not be so rigid in their worldview that they think it's just like that simple, and everything else that goes outside that is is totally crazy because no, no normally it's not, you know, normally mm. it's not. Well, I'm aware I've kept you for a really long time and I'm <laughs> delighted that your nine second viral video has translated into a much bigger movement 
by yourself and I wish you the very best. Thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. I appreciate it, Rosie. Hey, thanks for listening. I do hope you enjoyed that. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. Uh, I am featured on YouTube. You can join me on Patreon to get special content at Woman by Definition. Please leave a review if you fancy it. But uh, just another reminder, please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. See you next time.